Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Friday. Okay, I am. Um, I'm in a bona fide studio today. That's right. I'm broadcasting live this morning from 104.7 and AM 1190 in Madison, Wisconsin. So, whoop whoop whoop. All right. Good morning, everyone in Madison and far beyond. Um, big thanks today uh, to Steve Young here um, here in Madison and his whole team, Derek, for getting me set up in the studio, Diane for. Okay, I didn't even know this. I didn't know that if you work in the actual studio, it, there's the possibility of someone else making or bringing coffee. Like I, because I broadcast from home, right, from a home studio, um, I I was not aware of this particular advantage of coming in. So thank you, thank you, thank you for the grand hospitality um, of our sister station here. Uh, it is so fun to uh, to meet people who are, serving God out in um, just all the way across the Faith Radio Network. And so good morning to all of you, wherever you may be uh, on this day. A big thank you to Nancy. Nancy is a volunteer here, um, and she she waited yesterday until I arrived. And it, um, let's just say, took a little longer to get here because there were some, um, well, let me just say that there were some state troopers in Illinois that didn't appreciate, well, actually, they just wanted to spend some time with me on the side of the road. Yeah, they, they didn't appreciate maybe how how fast I was trying to get here. So there you go. There's a little story for you. A little shout out to uh, to Officer Baxter. He's a brother in Christ. He's a chaplain at his local nursing home. His mom is 91. I learned a lot. There you go. You can uh, you can take every opportunity, right, to meet a brother or sister in Christ, even if it's in a space and a place that, well, you hadn't planned. All right. Where in the word are you today? Because I am making this trip with my precious husband, Jim, uh, we spent some time in the Gospel of John. He reads a chapter. I know this is going to sound a little nutty to some of you, but he re- he's very disciplined about reading a chapter every day in the Greek, all right, because he's always working on his Greek language um, abilities. And so he's working his way back through the Gospel of John. And so he was reading to me yesterday, thank, thanks be to God, in English. Um, but he was reading from John uh, chapter 8, which he was reading in Greek on his own. And there's this incredible you know, back and forth with Jesus, between Jesus and the Jews in this uh, in this chapter. If you haven't read this chapter lately, let me encourage you to do so. There's this conversation about the validity of Jesus's testimony. Um, and there is this, there is then this, what you might consider, wow, kind of scorching discourse where he calls them the children of the devil. And they say, well, you know, you're a Samaritan and devil possessed. And he's like, ah, you know, um, I'm not possessed by a demon. I'm honoring God, and you're dishonoring him. And then there is this this question in verse 53 that ends like this. Who do you think you are? I mean, the Jews actually say that to Jesus. I want you to pause there for a moment. Because this in my Bible, I have uh, this portion listed as who's your daddy. So if you just think for a moment about how Jesus would answer that question, who's your daddy? 
like those of us who are uh, Christians and, and understand who Jesus is and that he came to reveal the Father and, uh, and he came to redeem, like that question is awesome and deep. It's also, you know, meant here as a little bit of, uh, of a slap. And then when they come out and say, you know, who do you think you are? Jesus reveals to them, I am. In verse 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus lays claim to the name that for the Jews was ineffable, uh, revealed to Moses at the burning bush and regarded by the Jews as something you didn't even speak. It was so holy. And Jesus lays claim to it. All right. um, This next interview that I have to share with you is so fun. Jerry Jenkins is well, well known to many of of you in the listening audience. He's a really accomplished novelist. Um, He's also, see, this is when you get to the next generation and you're also like, you get to say, and he's also Dallas Jenkins' dad. And the name Dallas Jenkins may not be super familiar to you, but I am betting his work is Dallas Jenkins uh, created and directs The Chosen Uh, Season one of this critically acclaimed television series um, is out. We are all awaiting season two, which I understand has now been uh, the filming of which has now been completed. Uh, And so Dallas and his dad then conceived of this uh, series of novels that would be based on the critically acclaimed television series, The Chosen. Well, the first of those novels is now out. So I get to share with you a conversation that I had with Jerry Jenkins about his novel, The Chosen, book one, I Have Called You by Name. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. really fun to have Jerry Jenkins here with us today. You um, very, very likely recognize his name as one of the co-authors of the Left Behind series. Uh, He has been writing books uh, just in an ongoing way since then. Lots of um, uh, lots of memoirs that he has participated in. One I particularly like about my friend Oral Hershiser, um, but he has written on so many subjects and really just a, a delightful influence on many of us who are Christian authors. Jerry Jenkins, what a privilege to welcome you to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thanks so much, Carmen. It's great to be with you. It's really, you have been um, influential uh, in my own life. I loved the Left, the Left Behind series. Um, and I know that, you know, everybody has an opinion about what is included in there. But it is, uh, you have a way of telling stories that draw the reader into the big narrative of faith. And I'm wondering if you can just talk about that. Well, I try to write stuff that I would like to read. I've, I've uh, I one, one time said I, I'm not smart enough to write a book that's hard to read, and th- I think that's an advantage. Um, but you know, I teach writers online and often they say, you know, how do you, uh, how do you know your audience? And I say, look in the mirror. You, you want to write to yourself and hope there are a lot of other people out there like you. And to me, as you say, telling a story introduces people to the big picture. And the, the narrower you make the story, the bigger the picture can be. Instead of writing about all the troubles in the world, write about a person and their their trouble, and that represents everybody. So the whole idea um, 
with us Christian writers is we want to tell a story that has a worldview of hope and keeps people turning the pages and ideally sends them back to reading their Bible, sends them back to church, encourages them in their faith, and gives them something they can pass along to others as well. Well, the passing along to others is something you are um, particularly adept at, and I want to talk with you about um, your son, Dallas, and uh, the the Chosen series, um, of which my family uh, are great fans, and I have lots of listeners who are now jumping up and down saying, oh! This is that Jenkins family. Um, so uh, you have written The Chosen, uh, I Have Called You By Name, a novel that is based on season one of the critically acclaimed television series, the television series uh, created and directed by your son, Dallas. So let's um, let's just start by talking about like that process of writing a novel that's actually based on a TV series, because we've seen the reverse of that process this is a this is maybe a first time for me to see it go in this direction. Yeah, it's sort of reverse engineered, and uh, often these are called novelizations. I like to just call it a novel because that's what it is, and and I think the typical reader doesn't understand the term novelization anyway. Um, but this story was already written, obviously, in the Bible, and then Dallas and his uh, co-writers for the series wrote the scripts, and to to do a novel based on that. On one hand, I, one of my pet peeves with novelizations is that you see a movie and then somebody writes a novel based on that, and the scenes that you've seen on the screen aren't the same as the ones in the book. And I think, you know, since people are, are hopefully buying this novel because they enjoyed what they saw on the screen, I want those scenes to be exact. So I have the same dialogue in the same setting and that type of thing. But what I hopefully add to the process is inner monologue, what people are thinking, how they're feeling, what led up to these points. The Chosen uh, TV series is already speculative because it takes stories we know from Scripture and flushes them out and says, here's how this could have happened. Here's what could have led up to this. We're really careful not to violate Scripture. We don't have Jesus or any of the people that he called around him do something that would violate the, the meaning of Scripture. And we're certainly not adding to it. We're taking away from the gospel itself. But we're saying what might have led to this issue with Simon Peter being in trouble with taxes and everything and why he needed to fish all night and try to catch fish, etc. So that's been the fun of, of writing the novel, too, is that I get to add even more to that and, and especially that inner monologue where we hear people thinking. We as a family um, have been driven back to Scripture and to the examination of characters who Oh well, we thought we knew that person's story. Let's go. Let's go back. And now that we have sort of seen them brought to life um, in the television series, The Chosen, um, let's let's see sort of how they wove that together out of the storylines that we now have, um, not only through the four gospels, but through the Book of Acts, and then through the writings of these individuals. And so, there's a lot of anticipation in our family about what might be in season two, who might appear, what stories might be told. Um, we have fallen in love with uh, with Nicodemus, and you know there's a lot of cheering and rooting for him uh, in terms of uh, you know members of our family who are younger and maybe don't know the scriptures as well as my husband and I do, and we're just sort of waiting, like allowing them to discover some things about these characters along the way. It is this delightful journey, and I just want to affirm that to you um, as you you know affirm Dallas in in this ongoing production. So. 
for folks who are listening, if if by any chance you're not familiar um, with The Chosen, the television series, uh, let me be sure to indicate to you how much my family loves it and how much I commend it to you. We're talking today with Jerry Jenkins, author of The Chosen. I have called you by name. It is a novel based on season one of The Chosen series. And I'd love for you to visit with Jerry at jerryjenkins.com. He and I are going to take a very brief break, and then we'll be right back. Rejoining my conversation with Jerry Jenkins, we're talking today about The Chosen novels. I have book one in my hand, The Chosen. I have called you by name. Um, Jerry, my family and many others are anxiously anticipating season two of The Chosen. Um, we're proud to be you know, participants in the crowdfunding that is going on um, for that. Tell us a little bit. This has been a very unique process. Can you give us a little insight into um, maybe, maybe not just the novel, but also the series and this unique process uh, through which it has come to be? Yeah, it's been really interesting for me because to hear you say how excited your family is, and of course we're hearing this from people all over the world, It's it's been watched in every country of the world in 80 different languages, uh, tens of millions of people. And, you know, I thought when I first saw it and first talked with Dallas about it and, and heard, you know, his heart for it, I thought it was fantastic, but I was careful not to say that too loud because I think everything he does is great. I mean, when he started his film career... I helped finance that, and we had a little production company called Jenkins Entertainment. Now, this is separate from that. This is, you know, he's, he w- was in Hollywood for 10 years. He did feature films and then came to this project, and it, it's really his own creation. And the more I saw it, I, I found myself moved by every scene and never getting tired of one. To write this novel, I had to watch the episodes of season one 22 times each. And I never got tired of one scene and every one of them moved me to tears every time. And I thought, is this just a proud dad? I mean, I've got a button budget that you wouldn't believe, but <laughs> but I, I realized that everybody is saying this. Everybody is saying this is something unique and something special. So I've been on the set a few times and, and uh, met some of the actors and watched Dallas do his thing. And uh, basically, I just stand there with my mouth hanging open and saying, who raised this kid? You know, I mean, it, I just think it's fantastic. And uh, as far as season two, you know, they've had all kinds of trouble shooting it. Uh, they shot half of it in Utah and they're shooting the second half in uh, te- in Texas, south of Fort Worth. And they had all that terrible weather down there and, uh, you know, lost power. They lost days of shooting. And right now they're in the last few days of shooting and they can't afford to lose one more day because they'll lose a cinematographer and some some crew and cast. So we're just hoping they can hang on and, and get that done. Um, but people, are, you know, just like you, are waiting with bated breath for what's coming, and uh, so am I. In the meantime, we'll wear out the DVD copies uh, of the chosen season one that we have now. Um, Jerry, talk with us about sports and stories that you love, because I think that's really seems to be um, a secondary, at least, passion in your life, is telling really good stories that are sports-related. There's a passion there. There is. And um, when I was a kid, like most kids, I wanted to be a big league baseball player. And uh, I got hurt when I was in high school, which probably just covered the fact that I wasn't good enough anyway to to make it. But I started sports writing to stay close to the sports scene. 
and also to keep getting into the games free. You know, I could, as an athlete, they let you get in and watch high school games for free. And as a sports writer, same thing. So I, I actually started sports writing for money when I was 14. And I was too young to drive. The sports editor didn't know my mother was waiting for me in the parking lot to drive me to these games. But I raised Dallas the same way. He was reading sports pages uh, when he was five and six years old. And I thought, this kid might grow up to be a sportscaster, you know, some kind of an announcer. Uh, he still has a deep interest in sports. So we share that too, along with my other two sons. Um, but I have been lucky enough to be able to keep a hand in the, the sports world. And I've done several biographies of famous athletes. Uh, in fact, the joke used to be that I, I only wrote uh, as told to autobiographies by people who made the Hall of Fame. And so I would say to people, if you want to make the Hall of Fame, let me write your story. But usually it came the, the other direction. But I've, I've done books with Hank Aaron and Walter Payton and, as you mentioned, Oral Hershiser, Nolan Ryan, Mike Singletary, Joe Gibbs, people like that. And so it's really been fun. And um, you're right. The story is the is the uh, the central part of it. Uh, you, you can't just regurgitate someone's life story. You want to really get in there and tell what they felt, what was happening during the, you know, the big game or the championship or the, you know, election to the Hall of Fame. So it's really been fun and, and rewarding. So one of the things that um, that John says in his gospel is that if everything uh, that Jesus ever said or did were written down, you know, the world would not be big enough to contain all the books that must be written. Um, I suspect that that is true when you are writing anyone's life story. Um, and so are there, are there stories, let's say in Hank Aaron's life that, you know, they're, they're not, they're not to your knowledge, they're not told. Um, they're not, they didn't make it into the book that you wrote with him and they didn't make it into any others. Um, I mean, I just pick him as an example cause he's, he's top of mind having recently passed away. Um, but does that resonate with you as a writer that there are stories that are left like, you know, on, on the editorial floor? Yeah, and that resonates with me too, even as it uh, pertains to the chosen, because mm -hmm. there's so much in Scripture, uh, just a few verses here and there that'll tell a, a story, and you say, you know, that's three verses, but to a novelist, that's three chapters. I mean, let's think of who this mm -hmm. person is and what they might have said and what what led to this. And people are already saying, when you finish seven seasons of the chosen, you know, they're asking Dallas, are you going to go on to Acts? Is there going to be more stories of of uh, maybe the Apostle Paul, or is it going to be more stories of Peter? And he's thinking, just let me get through what I'm doing now, you know. <laughs> um, there, It seems like there's an unlimited resource there. And not only would the world not contain all those stories, none of us have lifespans long enough to tell all those. So we just want to do the best we can with what we've been given to do. Well, part of what you've been given to do um, is to raise a generation um, you know, that will follow you. And um, I know you have three sons. Dallas is among them. I want to talk just for a moment about being a dad um, and what it what it feels like. I mean, I, you talk about, you know, all the buttons that are required here. Um, but what's what it feels like to to have parented and shepherded the heart and raised a, a, a generation of believers? Yeah, it really has been rewarding. And um, I made a commitment years ago, even before Dallas was born. Dallas is our eldest. And, and before he was born, I was working for a Christian publishing company and I was interviewing people for stories for Sunday school papers. And I interviewed four or five middle-aged guys that were about twice my age at that time. And at one, 
a certain point in each of the interviews, I asked them the same question, even though the stories were all about different disparate subjects. I said, what regrets do you have at this stage of your life? And every one of them said the same thing. They didn't have kids that had gone off the deep end or left their faith or anything. They just said, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids when they were growing up. I missed those years and I feel like I neglected them there. And so I remember coming home and telling my wife, you know, we're, we're, we want to start a family. I don't want to get to that same stage of life and have that same regret. I'll be without excuse after all these guys saying that. So we set a policy. I wouldn't do any writing or any work from the office from the time I got home from work until the time the kids went to bed. We just give them that time to play, to talk, do do whatever. Because kids hear what you say, but they believe what you do. And love is spelled T-I-M-E. And so I really did maintain that religiously. And and, um, all three of the kids graduated from Christian colleges, uh, loved the Lord, served the Lord, loved the scripture, and uh, couldn't be more thrilled. They're they're our best friends, and um, it's just been really gratifying. That is such a joy. That is such a joy. Thank you for um, being willing to share those personal notes with us as well. Jerry Jenkins is the author. The Chosen, book one, I Have Called You By Name, is the novel based on season one of the critically acclaimed television series. Um, You can find Jerry at jerryjenkins.com. Follow him on Facebook and Twitter. Jerry B. Jenkins. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. I really enjoyed being with you. Likewise. We'll be right back. We often have a lot of criticism for social media. I thought it would be fun to talk with Chris Martin this week from the Terms of Service blog. Uh, about the reasons maybe to praise God for social media. We're also going to talk about the mountains that divide us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you have a teenager living in your household, you know what I mean by this one word, drama. Yep, drama comes with adolescence. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When you were a teen, you had lots of ups and downs, relationships, hormonal changes, and general turmoil. It made for some volatile years. Well, that roller coaster ride of yesteryear has only intensified today. But as a parent, you can counteract those forces. Look for ways to ask relevant questions that don't come across as judgmental. And don't be a buddy to your kid. You only add to the drama. Absorb the highs and lows of adolescence and be a stabilizing force in your home. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Thinking about um, all the things that, frankly, worry us and capture our attention, but we don't sit down long enough to apply Christian thought to. So that is what you're going to find at the Terms of Service with Chris Martin. Uh, You're going to find reflections, Christian reflections, on Internet culture, social media trends, and other topics. Uh, And Chris does a really good job bringing the Christian worldview to bear. Um, Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me again. 
Absolutely. So um, I want to talk about the brand new post, the Friday post, three reasons to praise God for social media. I think we spend an awful lot of time um, complaining about condemning social media, even though we use it all the time. Um, So talk with us uh, about this perspective, reasons to praise God for social media. Sure. Uh, Yeah. So I spend most of my professional writing uh, through my newsletter and the book I just wrote is all about the ways social media is changing us often for uh, for the worse. Um, And the reason that I focus so much on that is not because I like living under a rain cloud all the time or I like being a negative person or anything like that. but because I think one of the things we ignore the most uh, about our relationship with social media are the often undetectable or just difficult to detect ways that it's changing how we think about ourselves, how we think about what what's beautiful, what we think is worthy of our attention or worthwhile for our time. Uh, so I am super concerned about those things. But I can – I write about those difficult topics and I guess you could brand them negative topics so much that it is easy to become uh, cynical in an unhealthy way. And every once in a while as a sort of palate cleanser through my newsletter, through my writing, I like to write a more positive piece about how social media is changing us for the better or how it, how it's provided helpful tools or opportunities for us. And so this week uh, for the post that just went out uh, a couple minutes ago, I wrote three reasons to praise God for social media. Um, I'm reading John Piper's new book right now called Providence, which is like an 800 800 page like tome on how God works through everything in the world. And it's a super good book. And it's really reignited my joy to just kind of see God in everything, um, which is part of what led Uh, to me wanting to write this. So here are three basic reasons I think that we can praise God for social media despite its many flaws and and negative consequences. First, I I think social media allows us to see the work of God around the world. Um, I think it's pretty amazing that social media has afforded us the opportunity to see the ways ways that God is working around the world in places that we don't live. Like uh, for me, sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee, I get to see how God works in Spain or in Indonesia or South Africa. And I don't personally, I only know people personally in Spain. I don't know anyone who's in Indonesia or South Africa, but I still can see posts on social media about, oh, hey, there's this church planted here doing this or uh, or this church that I'm familiar with in the U.S. sent a group of missionaries to uh, Indonesia to do, to do this um, work. And so it's really cool. I think it's we should praise God for the opportunity that uh, we have to see him working around the world that, you know, back in, say, 1970, the only way you were going to hear about how God was working in Spain or Indonesia or South Africa, if you don't live in those places, is by hearing from maybe a missionary who comes back to your church um, on furlough and reports on on what God's doing in those places. Or maybe you have a friend from college or that you grew up with who you're on their mailing list and they send you a letter from time to time from one of those places. But unless you had a personal connection to someone serving around the world, you generally weren't going to, or if you're reading books, I suppose, you're not going to hear what God's doing in Laos or something like that. Um, but now simply by logging onto social media or the internet more generally, obviously, we get to see how God's working in all these places. And I think that's a that is a worthy thing that we should praise God for that social media and the internet more broadly has afforded us. Um, secondly, 
I think. Hey, can this I is, can I comment on of, that one? Of course, I, yeah, of course. I had one of those experiences yesterday. So yesterday, um, Josh Irby came back on the program, and he brought with him his friend Slavka, Slavko Hadchik, and he is a pastor in um, uh, Bosnia Herzegovina, and it was a delight. Like I, I would have never known about him. I would have never gotten to meet him. We're now connected on Facebook and Twitter, um, and. You know, I just so you're exactly right. Um, I can bear personal testimony to point one on your list. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to like this one's related. Point two is similar. Um, Social media has afforded us the opportunity to connect with like minded followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. So I I was on a podcast the other day uh, yesterday, my podcast recording with a guy here in the Nashville area uh, at Nash severe weather. Who's like, we call him our weather Batman. He's like a normal citizen like you and me who covers the weather on Twitter and, and helps people stay safe, especially in stormy seasons like we're entering into. And, and he talked about how he thinks social media is much more helpful as a distribution platform rather than as a communication platform. So it's more helpful as a one way communication tool, maybe than a two way. And in some ways I agree with him. And in some ways I disagree with him. I think that connecting with other people on social media for me has has provided some of the best experiences on social media and some of the worst experiences on social media um, that some of the some of the lowest lows and like frustrating conversations or anger inducing conversations. But then also some of the coolest like I have real relationships with people offline now that started online through Twitter or other social media platforms. And so I think that, yeah, of course, we can use social media to hurt people with our words and the way we should be reminded that that using hurtful words to uh, demean people on social media is no less real than using hurtful words in real life to hurt people. Um, and sometimes I, f- I think we forget that the Internet is just as real as the offline world is. But uh, by the grace of God, and we should praise him for this, we have the opportunity to connect with brothers and sisters in Christ around the country or around the world on social media and encourage each other in all kinds of ways. Um, and, and we get to use social media to keep in touch with friends who we made offline but perhaps live across the country from us now. And so I think that's something to praise God for, um, and I'm grateful for it, and I think it's really good. And we have to obviously be careful because we're prone to sin as we connect with others and, and backstab people or gossip or whatever else, but um, but we should praise God for the opportunity. And thirdly, the, the last thing I think we can praise God for in terms of uh, our relationship with social media is that it allows us to study the beliefs and culture of all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a discussion on Twitter recently about um, certain books that maybe paint our movement in a negative light or criticize our movements of evangelicalism, there's no way that those could be helpful. Um, and I disagree. I think that social media in itself, um, whether everything from reading books that maybe treat us unfairly or, or, or paint us in a bad light, and also engaging with people on social media who vehemently disagree with our points of view um, or would say, you know, Christians are bigoted. Uh, I think a lot of times Christians uh, make fun of snowflakes or something like that, and then we're also afraid to engage with people who disagree with us or call us names uh, and sometimes embody the thing that Christians make fun of. And so I think it's important for Christians to be um, intellectually honest, uh, and social media affords us the opportunity to learn how different people look at the world in different ways. And engaging with these people doesn't mean we have to buy into what they believe or change how we believe 
or how we live or anything like that. But what it does by engaging with people with whom we disagree even um, about their beliefs or how they think the world should operate, um, we have the opportunity not only to learn how they view the world, which can help perhaps how we share the gospel with them or how we pray for them, but also it can help us test what we believe. Um, I'm a firm believer that we should always be testing our own belief uh, and, and, and running our beliefs. If we truly believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of its implications are, are the foundation of how we should view the world, we should never be afraid to test that. Because if we truly believe that it is true and real um, and the best way to view the world and, and the only true way to view the world, then we should actually think that it can withstand any uh, adversary or test or differing point of view. Um, and so social media, I think we should praise God that social media has given the us the opportunity to engage with beliefs and worldviews that are unlike our own and unlike those of our church community or our friends around us, um, to allow us to see how others view the world so that we can better minister to them, but that so we can also grapple with our own beliefs and say, hey, well, what that person said, I don't really buy it, but man, it was compelling. And then to kind of research what they think and say, how does that jive with what I think? And then decide, okay, yeah, what I think is still more legitimate, but I understand where they're coming from now, where maybe I didn't before. And I think social media, if we allow it to, can really afford us some real, really good opportunities to learn and grow just to see the world in different ways, which can help, um, help us grow in our, our confidence in our own beliefs. Yeah, I really appreciate that. You guys can read the entire post um, by Chris Martin at his Terms of Service blog. When we come back, I'm going to ask Chris to talk a little bit about the mountains that divide us. And in particular, you know, how um, humility and surrender are really kind of lost arts, lost practices among us as Christians. And, and the convicting word that he has read recently about our lack of love for one another. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm talking with Chris Martin. You can find him at the Terms of Service blog, Terms of Service with Chris Martin. Um, Chris, let's talk about the post from earlier in the week, the mountains that divide us. Um, how, how might we be letting doctrine separate us from one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? So I recently um, have adopted a practice of adding, um, I guess you could call them Christian living books to my morning devotions. Uh, if you consider reading the Word of God like a meal, as is described uh, in Scripture, um, you know, throwing on some C.S. Lewis or A.W. Tozer at the end of my morning devos, like reading a chapter of one of their books is kind of like dessert, in my opinion. And I've been doing that a little bit more recently as I've been trying to be more disciplined and carving out more morning, uh, more time in the mornings to read. Um, and I, one of the books I just finished in my, uh, dessert of my morning devotions is absolute surrender by Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray is a 19th century pastor and author who lived in South Africa. And, um, a lot of people are probably most familiar with his book humility, which is just a really short book on the importance of, and ways, uh, the importance of humility and, and how to be humble. Um, and it's a wonderful book. I, wrote in this post from Monday that it's probably the book I've read more than any other book in my life, not because I'm good at being humble, but because it's short, hyper-practical, and helpful at developing humility, which I'm not always good at. And so I highly recommend that book. You can get it on Amazon for super cheap, I think. So um, 
But because I loved humility so much, I wanted to read another one of his books called Absolute Surrender, which is also a pretty short little book. And um, I was I love the book so much. I was most struck by a chapter called Peter's Repentance, which talks about um, just that, how Peter repented following his denial of Christ. And it was super powerful and just convicting for my own life. But there was one part in his book on page 31 where he talks about our lack of love for one another. He talks about the the fruit of the spirit is love um, and talks just about the importance of love undergirding everything we do. And he writes at one point, um, he says, think of the church at large. What divisions? Think of the different bodies. Take the question of holiness, the question of cleansing blood. Take the question of the baptism of the spirit. What differences are caused among dear believers by such questions? That there are differences of opinion does not trouble me. We do not have the same constitution and temperament and mind. But how often hate, bitterness, contempt, separations, un- separation and unlovingness are caused by the holiest truths of God's word. He goes on to say, and so down the ages, the very dearest truths of God have become mountains that have separate us. I, I was so struck by that because given how much work I do in social media, I mean, I spend time on social media personally. I write a lot on social media, obviously. What's so interesting is that, yeah, a lot of times the things that separate us and get us at each other's necks on social media are things that we just vehemently disagree with, like politics, disagree on, like politics or or how our faith should interact with the world and how it should play itself out and all of that. But sometimes too, and unfortunately more oftentimes than not, huge doctrines, these mountainous beliefs of God that should be mountains on which we build camp and and spend time f- in fellowship together, these giant mountains become not places for us to gather together, but mountain ranges that divide continents of believers from one another. Um, and I think one could uh, one could be forgiven for reading that short paragraph from Andrew Murray that I just read and think that he's a pastor in the United States today. Um, and but he wasn't. He was a pastor in in South Africa in the night in the nineteenth century. And I think so much of what he recognized about huge truths of our faith being what divide us and the the grief he had over that, I share that grief. And I think the place that grief is perhaps most on display today, or the place that phenomenon of of these big truths dividing us is most on display today is on social media. Um, and back to what I said in the things to praise God for regarding social media. It's that connecting with other believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, in that, we can experience some of the greatest experiences of social media where we get to say, like, encourage one another, pray for each other, um, and and hear about what each other are doing throughout the world in, in our service of the Lord. But at the same time, those interpersonal interactions that we've been given by God through social media can be divisive and and grief-inducing and sad. Um, and so I think it's important that we recognize that our social media platforms are designed to get us to conflict with one another. Um, and that's one of the things that we've talked about before and that I write a lot about is that what is rewarded on social media, what what is incentivized on social media is negativity 
Um, and there's been a lot of discussion lately about how negativity just leads to growth and, and more interaction than positivity. And so I think we should just be aware of that and just be willing to surrender to the Lord and just love one another around these doctrines in our faith rather than use them as platforms to divide. Um, when I read this post, uh, I am what, what God brought to mind was the, the woman um, of Samaria at the well trying mm-hmm. to like redirect the conversation and saying, you know, um, hey, we worship on, on one mountain and you worship on another mountain, right? That's where, you know, Jews say we yep. have to worship in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is like, hey, the time's coming um, when true worship uh, is, is going to happen in spirit and in truth. And that's those are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. So I just I appreciated this particular post and wanted to give you the opportunity to lift it up in front of listeners today. Hey, Chris, as always, thanks so much for joining us. Of course, of course. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. That's Chris Martin. You can find him at the Terms of Service blog. We got to take one more brief break, and then we'll be right back. Alrighty, so I'm going to encourage you today to reach out in in a positive way to someone else on social media. Um, keep humility in mind, surrendering always to Christ, recognizing that um, doctrine does matter. We want to be people who's, um, you know, who understand God rightly and righteously, but also treat other people with uh, with the dignity that they have as image bearers of the living God. Uh, we want to enter into discourse with one another that is um, gracious, certainly true. But as we speak the truth in love, we need to be the people who are um, who recognize that we still have some growing up to do as well. So let us grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. Let us bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. Let us walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that Jesus would recognize as consistent with his own character, with himself. You and I are representing Christ to the world today. You may be the only Bible that someone else reads today. You may be the only Christian they encounter. Who uh, who are they going to understand Christ to be, and how are they going to see God uh, through you, the representative whom he has chosen and has sent? We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. I look forward to spending it with you. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.